Hello, my name is Christine Murray, Editor-in-Chief of The Developer, and welcome to The Developer Podcast, where we talk about how to design and develop cities worth living in, which often has to do with the spaces between the buildings as much as the buildings themselves. In this podcast, we're going to discuss new research and evidence-based findings, we're going to raise new ideas and debate current thinking, and we'll speak to a variety of experts in an attempt to unpick the key ingredients to making great places in urban environments. We started about five years ago and um, we caught the attention of the Homes and Communities Agency at the time who were concerned, I think, with how external spaces were being used on developments across the country. I mean, they saw a range of different places and spaces and they felt that they couldn't really fully understand how well they were working for them and perhaps there was something to learn. So they helped us get some money from the NHBC, the National House Building Council, um, and we set out to look at, uh, to compare 10 developments around the country, uh, and they helped us choose a kind of a full range. So we looked at um, Lime Tree Square, for example, which was seen as a kind of exemplar development, um, and then we chose some fairly ordinary ones that we felt, um, or certainly they felt, was quite typical of what you see around England. Um, so what we did was we'd been working um, with students at University of East London and we'd um, developed Jan Gale's methodology, which is essentially people counting. So you stand in a space and you kind of quietly, uh, without talking to people, note uh, the age range of the people you see in the space and importantly, how much time they're spending there and what activities they're doing. So. Jan Gale has a way of looking at space and how people use it. He talks about necessary use and uh, social and optional use. So um, people need to move through spaces to get from A to B, and that's usually just a minute in the space. So you can put that down if you see somebody walking through the space or if a bit longer then you can time how long they're there for. But we were also interested in children particularly um, partly spurred on by the playing out movement which was sort of burgeoning in Hackney um, because we thought maybe there was a lack of evidence about whether children played out or not and lots of sort of nostalgia and anecdote around it but not much understanding of what was really happening. So what we did with Jan Gell's his system was to be able to look at whether children were um, outside with other children on their own or supervised, accompanied by adults. Um, so what that allowed us to see was sort of correlations between layouts and use and also the correlation between um, independent play and social use of space. So what we found was that some of the spaces that were better used by children playing independently were also better used by adults um, socially. So they're not children bringing their parents outside because then they'd be supervised. So uh, potentially they're, they're indicating, as um, Penelosa would say, they're, they're the indicator species and they're, they're what I call the generators of community life.
So we're going to the Christchurch estate in Hackney, which is a small housing estate just off Victoria Park Road, next to the park and the canal. And I've chosen it because I think it's a really good example of how uh, you can use layout and materials to make spaces that people use a lot and enjoy using. Um, so to our left is a long terrace, no, a short terrace rather, and then a, a six-storey tower block. Really a tower block, is it? And we're just, we're just walking into the estate. Um, so it says Christchurch Estate, private road, no unauthorised parking. That's right. It's a parking control you want. So you've got some garages and a space to our left. Um, and we're going to uh, chicane around these barriers that I think must be stopping motorbikes coming in um, into the main square, um, which is not very large, which is framed by two and three storey houses, which is the main space that, if you're lucky, you'll see the children playing out. It is raining. It is raining. Um, but we've got front doors coming right onto this area, which is completely car-free, motorbike-free. Yeah. And, wow, quite mature gardens, pretty amazing. Big trees and little hills. Yeah, so we've got um, planting and we've got a tree with a swing hanging from it and lots of hard surfaces as well. So there's quite a generous space outside the front doors that we're standing in front of. Lots of space to sit um, and cycle and scooter around. So I've got lots of photographs of people using this space in many different ways. They have barbecues, they have parties out here for the whole estate or maybe just for someone's birthday. We play football, kids run around, different ages together. So. Ah, oh, we're not buying, we're just admiring your yeah. fantastic estate, yeah, yes. as I often do. It is great, isn't it? What's it like living here? Fantastic, yeah, it's brilliant for kids, of course, you know, just open up the front door and they just come out and play together. Yeah. It's great in the summer. Yeah. <laughs> how old are your kids? Three and six, uh, three and seven, sorry. Okay. So, how old were they when they started playing outside? Uh, as soon as we moved in, so two years ago. Okay. You want to go to the park? <laughs> oh, I'll let you go. Thank you for Thank talking Thank you. To Thanks us. so much. Yeah. <laughs> let me show you a few things around this square as well. Um, okay. yeah, so on three sides, you've got two-storey buildings, and then on one side, you've got uh, three-storey houses that, in a sense, I think, provide some protection from the noise of Victoria Park Road. So you're, you're near a busy road on the other side of those houses, but it's very peaceful in here, isn't it? Really amazingly beautiful. Well, I like the uh, the earth on the ground so it's really well worn this area which suggests um, that children use it a lot um, and that's not a problem so people get quite worried about surfaces getting worn down and stuff by kids but I think the thing is it doesn't matter as much as we think I think it's I'm going to show you this house over here because I've, every time I come here, you find a neighbour who wants to tell you about how great it is. And um, this house on the corner on the right-hand side is quite special because when we came here once, the woman who lives there had just moved in and she was leaning out the window telling us how it had changed her life. 
and what she's done in her front garden is she's sort of turned it into a sort of a, a more of a social space where there's a there's a bench yeah, there's a bench running across the yeah. whole length of the house and turning into her garden, like like a public bench. Yeah. So, you know, she, she likes sitting out there. She's got three kids. Some of the photos that we've got are her kids running around. And there's other people who've left their their bikes outside and their... Their kids are coming in and out the door. Yeah, The kids right. are saying it's raining, but we want to come out. <laughs> so actually, let's walk round here to the smaller space. Okay. So it doesn't Lucky look like the courtyards of other estates, which are just flat with just grass and maybe a few shrubs, not really any big trees and nowhere to hide, really. Here's lots of kind of little, my kids would call them houses, when you can kind of get under a bush or get in, uh, underneath a tree. And it, yeah. it, it's kind of like a semi-enclosed hiding space. You can play hide and seek in this you courtyard. You can definitely play hide and seek here. I think you're right. And it's also got lots of... Um, uh, there's a there's a guy called Rob Weeway who I refer to often who talks about how children play and he talks about safe loops. So there's lots of ways around this estate. This is a this is a corner I think is quite interesting. If you stand here in this bit. If you stand here where we are now, although there's a van, you kind of see into the space. Yes. And you can almost see into the next space we're going to. You can certainly see to the gate, which is on the left-hand side. And I think that might be quite critical because if you're going to let your two-year-old out um, you need to be able to come across and see where they are or, or watch them they might they need to do that as well so yeah. so that that those connections between those spaces are really critical I mean essentially they can just about I'm not saying two-year-olds do this but the younger children can get from the next space along this pavement and back into that square where we were just before so paying attention to these connections I think is really critical in in the layout so it's not just about providing certain spaces it's how do you get from one space to another so a connection by by sight and also a safe way to walk yeah um, so we're going to go into one of the smaller courtyards we're going to go through a gate and there's eight houses and that's um, um, a typology that was uh, encouraged by the Cambridge um, system. I think I might be getting that wrong, but it, it's a kind of theory that, that a certain number of dwellings create a certain level of community. So this space is much closer in, isn't it? And these neighbors will have their kids playing outside here quite small children, quite young children. You can see the tiny... Yeah, there's a little tyke's toddler car and there's a there's a bike leaning up with a kid seat on it that's just yeah. been left outside the house, not locked up or anything, which suggests that they're quite nearby, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Or, um, and it looks like, actually, they've left the little kid's bike and the, maybe the door's slightly open. Yeah. So you can... You, you might leave your door open and your kid would be in this area. It's an extension of your house. That's right. Um, and so on, an, on a good day, in terms of the weather, you'll see kids playing out here quite a lot. And as they get older, they might go around the corner to the courtyard. And then there's another gate, and there's that through to... So it's, it's quite a variety of spaces. Mm -hmm. um, the next space we're going through... They have installed these gates, and I think these gates are, for me, a really good example of what works. So, you, you know, a child can open this gate 
Oh they yeah. Can pull it open. Maybe not a small one because it's quite heavy, but it's not got a key on it. They can still get around. So now we're in a shared surface space, yes. aren't we? Not brilliant for play, but it's not the only thing they've got, right? So they can use it to get about when they get a bit older. What I think is quite interesting is that we're mostly looking at front doors and garage doors. Quite a lot of these properties are that kind of 1970s layout of the kitchen at the back, the garage at the front. Yes. I grew up in a house like this when I was little and the bedrooms upstairs. But if you look over at num those houses there, number 23, you can see that they've converted their garage into a living space. Mm -hmm. And those living spaces are, are overlooking and directly connected visually to the space we're in. So they can open their windows in the summer and those um, grills give them security to do what it is they do around here, which is to leave things unattended and to come in and out. And that is it's slightly Dutch. Yes. In a sense, isn't it? And, and I think that's quite an interesting novel adjustment to this space and it's it, a different feeling in here when you're on the kind of courtyard spaces and there are cars parked on it you do feel like you're on a road more you do. so you immediately sense the presence of the cars even though none of them are moving they're all just parked yeah but you do have that feeling like ah so, this is a this is not the same as being in no. that courtyard even though actually they're both brick yeah. and they're both edge to edge. It's just even seeing the cars kind of puts you on alert. Yeah, and I think, I think if this is all you've got, it's not great, but if this is a space that you get through from one to another. It's quite good. Then it's, it's okay, especially yeah. if the culture is to drive very slowly. So we can now see into the, the next and third of the shared spaces, if you like, that are completely car-free, which is the same as the last one that we went into. Same eight dwellings overlooking it, two stories. Um, and if we have a look, we might see the same sort of signs of small children <laughs> hanging around. There is, there's a tricycle. Yeah. And again, um, there's gates, but one gate's open, isn't it? And then and you've the, got some low can, gates at the other side. You can see into the houses, it looks like it's the kitchen, perhaps, looking yeah, into the space, maybe right. the sink. So it seems like you could, you could be looking out your window into this. So that overlooking is, is quite important, isn't it? You've I think mentioned so. that before. Very much so. Um, and I think that um, what's, what's really interesting about this estate is it's backing onto the park. And I think that people are surprised in a way that it, ter it turns its back on the park completely. And um, quite often people will say, well, why do you need any shared spaces in a development when you're right next to a park? And perhaps we could have uh, engaged that um, resident a little bit longer to explain why to him it's a series of spaces. And so, yes, he's taking his daughter to the park, but he didn't say, oh, none of that matters because we've got the park. The, this was fundamentally really important to him for his older child to play out, wasn't it? Um, and, and there's a sense that you've talked about distance from your front door to where you can play being really important and that's immediate here you open your front door that's and you're right. in a safe place to play where other children can get in as well and so what when this is can you sort of see which way we've gone through the estate so we've we've, we've done taken a loop. about as a direct line as we could really okay which isn't very direct we've kind of staggered across and now we can hear the road um, to our left but these houses are probably the least um, 
benefiting, if you like, from the principles of the shared space. So they have cars parked outside and garages and their living spaces are at the back and they've got three storeys and then some apartments to the other side. Um, and I think if you ask the people who live here, they would say that it's not so great for them, but at the same time, there's a sense of community in the whole estate and they do feel much part of the Christchurch Square where we started and um, the whole kind of culture of letting kids play out. So you'll see loads of families around here. It's very, very desirable. And what about this? Because I feel like I do see developments that try to do something like this and it just doesn't work. And what is often going wrong? What are some of the pitfalls? Yeah, I mean, it would be good to look at those. So I think we might have embraced the home zone shared surface a bit too quickly without considering what the downsides are. And so we need to have a review of that, I think. And they were very specific about these barriers do help stop people. From yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, if people want to cycle through, that's <laughs> that, that's that really interesting thing, isn't it, about, about how cycling is not necessarily helpful. And when I think about one estate um, up in my neighbourhood that um, is used as a cut through by all of the bikes, you don't see kids playing out there. Right, yeah. Even though there's probably quite a good situation in terms of it should be a safe place to yeah. play. Yeah. Um, but maybe it just isn't because you get the motor, you get scooters cutting across it, you yeah. get... Yeah, yeah. But is, what's the layout that works? Is it the meandering layout like that or is it the gridded connected integrated layout where you know streets run through to other streets like you were saying earlier it feels quite cut off but it's then created defensible spaces hasn't it so you're not going to it's not the shortest route you won't get the bike running through it is it the is it the gridded route with the social space off it i'm not sure if it is i'm wondering whether it's about radically creating a kind of chain of shared spaces that maybe is quite meandering. There's something about the widths of the paths in there too. When we got into that narrow one, it felt very uncomfortable. Yeah. But when we were in these open spaces, you could see several windows, several doors. You had a feeling like you were not alone. I mean, that's why I, I perhaps that kind of idea that you're around the back of the houses is anyone looking out. I mean, we were kind of around the front mm. um, and they were, they had their doors open. They were coming and going. There was kind of a yeah, sense. There's some movement, isn't there? There's some, it's on the way to somewhere else, but it's not a, a direct line. So it's not, it's not that fast movement through, which I'm concerned may be actually working against social space. So, so how do we, how do we slow it down a bit maybe? How do we slow it down when we get home in, the, in our local neighbourhood, but then obviously connect back into the city? The intention behind the scheme was for it to be a very social space with um, shared surface streets and there's a big green space um, on the edge of the first phase but kind of within the development that had then sort of grown when I went to have a look at it. And we actually chose it particularly because it had been studied by um, Mike Bidolf, who's an academic in Cardiff. He was looking at the difference between home zones and traditional street layouts. And he discovered early on in the scheme that it was well used by children. Um, traffic speeds were lower 
And so in a sense, the design had worked. But what we found was that a few years on, maybe just three years later, actually the use by children was really low and that there was antisocial parking throughout the development. So I think that's something that's overlooked is that, is that it's not just about the speed of the traffic, it's where the cars park and they'll park right outside people's front doors and they'll jam up these shared surface streets where children should be spilling out and playing naturally. I've seen the pictures of the scheme. It looks very beautiful. It's got all of this nice shared surface. There's children cycling and scooting. Um, there's nice trees, nice green space. And the architecture looks quite good. So what went wrong? Well, I don't know. I think wherever we went, we could see across the country and in London that um, unadopted streets, that, that private land, it has a different set of rules in terms of parking. And people tend to disobey the parking rules on private land because they can get away with it more readily. Um, and so the, the blocking of streets by parked cars is, is like a huge barrier to a child. Um, and in some cases, you get a whole wall of cars, one after another, which means it's almost impossible for them to come outside their front door, it's impossible for them to get down the street, and it's impossible for them to get across a very small road onto a green space that's there for them to use. So um, I think we, what that um, suggested to us was that as architects and, and designers, we need to work out how to design that kind of behaviour out. We can't just rely on parking um, restrictions and um, parking charges, if you like, to take care of that problem. People have a tendency, some car drivers have a tendency to behave really, really badly, and children will lose out in that, in that instance. You took a picture of Lime Tree Square um, when you went back, and it had uh, children um, cycling down the middle of the road and the cars parked on the pavements outside the houses and uh, some trees that had died based on, I suppose, cars parking in the wrong place. That was actually Barking Riverside. And now Barking Riverside worked really well. That's a uh, Shepherd Robson scheme um, by Bellway Homes. That's the first phase. And it's, it's, it's been a while now that that scheme's really established. Um, and it's got a whole range of spaces. It's got some rear car parking courts, which are often very badly used because they're kind of the last place you want to put your car around the back, um, out of sight. Um, but that, that, that phase of the development had a series of green spaces that the um, houses backed onto on three sides. So it's really easy for children to just run out of their back garden into this space and really clear sight lines, chain link fences, which aren't beautiful at all, but allow that kind of overlooking and that clear sight line from the dwelling into that space. And I think this is what we don't know enough about. There, 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 there were, there's some play equipment in, but essentially they're big spaces, quite a few of them. Um, and uh, is there a kind of, is there a range, an optimal range, if you like, of, of density to that, to those shared spaces? Because in a sense, they mimic so many other kind of courtyard-style developments that you see across the country. And I can tell, work in very different ways from the observational work we've done. So these ones were really quite large and, and, and had, were quite permeable. You could, you could get to them from streets surrounding... Um, some some properties you needed to cross the road to get to them, but I think 
that again then maybe there's a sort of tipping point uh, a critical mass if you like if there's enough houses that lead onto a space that animate that space that the children will be using it then perhaps children will cross a road to get to it i mean what we were looking at in our maps is what's the percentage of what's the quantity of houses that have direct access what's the quantity that don't is there sort of you want to aim for more rather than less if you like and that those spaces the deck access the kind of circulation and the kind of overlooking of some of these spaces which you know in some instances were sort of car parks um were were quite well used um so it's sort of in contrast to what people think may be going on often you find it's the the opposite so you need to you need to go and look and find out and talk to people and that's what this work is going to be doing in hackney it's going to be really be talking to children it's going to be surveying them across the borough it's going to be looking at local neighborhoods and what the issues are and sort of seeing if we can find us a way through if you like so if i'm going to start my design tomorrow are there some things that some things that I need to really focus on in my design. Okay, so if you were going to be doing a scheme that was, you know, um, multi-storey, then you're going to need to think about um, the from the front door to the shared spaces and beyond. So you're going to need to think about it through the eyes of a child and a teenager, and you're going to be need to think about how they can get about safely. Um, you know, think about cars. Uh, you're going to need to um, consider that children will want to go and find their friends and call on their friends. So uh, one of the things we've seen a lot of is the gating and fencing of courtyard spaces. And so how does a child access those spaces that are intended for them? Um, so the key fob culture. <laughs> I think I've got, I'm really worried about the key fob culture because I think we're gating communities although we're doing it in the name of creating what we call semi-public spaces, I don't think uh, our children are thinking about that in, the, in that way. They, they, they want to enjoy getting around and finding their friends. And when they're young, yes, they do want to feel safe um, and not get run over, but I don't think that that needs a two-metre-high fence. So I think we, we need to think very carefully about how we're creating kind of a chain of of spaces that children can get about and how that might also be pleasurable for the rest of us. Um, so how do we ta tackle that? Because I think a lot of people say, I love my key fobbed courtyard. I know it's safe. I know that means my, my flat is safe, my doors or my windows, no one's going to go in there and then break into my um, apartment from this courtyard. This idea of, of not only are the children in a nice secure place but I'm secure too so that security culture is that something we need to tackle this idea of what safety is and what it means I think so I think we need to have that conversation and I think a lot of this does come down to management and maintenance issues um, and and sometimes I'm sure you're aware the landscaping gets cut as if it's um, a kind of uh, less important um, leftover at the end when the buildings are complete and not thinking about, you know, every 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 scrap of space is, is being used by children and that we should be aiming for um, uh, good social use of space. Um, if, if that's our aim, how do we achieve it? And then within that, we look at security and whether that's a barrier to, to, to those... Um, activities. I think if we start with security, we get very paranoid about um, kind of locking ourselves in, and then we're locking children in. And, and I, 
I'm pretty sure we've all got to the point where we're realising that's not a great idea because they'll then turn to other forms of play to entertain themselves, which is what we don't like either. So I think it's an, an it's something we need to unravel. But if we start with a more positive premise... Um, An occupied space presumably is a safer space because it's overlooked that's and That's right, and yeah. I think, I think there's... Uh, I'm not naive. I think there's, there, is, there is contested um, space. I think that, that one person's rights over another person's rights is an issue. But I think we need to remember that children are kind of... They have very little agency. They, they don't... Um, they're very low down in the kind of pecking order. And, and we need to somehow, uh, like the phrase spatial justice, I think they have very little spatial justice. Um, they, uh, that th the impact that might have on their daily lives is pretty profound, actually. Um, I don't like to think about it as a developmental thing so much, you know, if we let them play, they'll become really decent adults. Because I think, I think you know, kids, like we all do, if we can, live in the moment. And I think that moment should be as wonderful as it can be. And if you're going to make a housing estate, you should make it as wonderful as you can do, basically. Last year, I had the pleasure of um, judging the Camden Design Awards, and we got to walk around some lovely spaces. And we, a couple that really spring to mind were um, the Bourne Estate, um, where Matthew Lloyd Architects had um, completed some new uh, blocks and they're absolutely gorgeous buildings. Um, but my, I was kind of, <laughs> I was mildly horrified, let's just say, by the play space um, in one of the major courtyards, um, which was exactly as you just described, completely kind of segregated and rubberized surfaces. So like, you know, three spaces with fences in between for for the different age groups to sort of satisfy some uh, some part, if you like, of their play need. And this idea that 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 play is this kind of locomotive experience. So, like, you're gonna, you know, it, it just it just doesn't touch, you know, so swinging and sliding and um, uh, maybe a bit of climbing is is enough rather than the whole kind of you know the imaginative play the hide and seek the the different ways that children might play with loose parts and build things and all of that sort of stuff that happens perhaps in an adventure playground but also that, that it also lacks in any flexibility of that space it's like you will only do these activities here in those age groups so it just seems so unnatural to us as human beings and funnily enough they described the space on the other side of the courtyard, which was quite empty, as being incredibly busy on a summer afternoon with ch people bringing chairs out and c the whole community would be eating outside or something in a summer's evening. And you're thinking, isn't that really what you should be aiming for rather than this kind of segregated behaviour? And I think what I was really excited by was looking at the Alexandra Road playground, um, which I've heard Neve Brown say was the housing was there to allow the playground or something. I've, I've held on to that, um, that thought. <laughs> I'm not sure it's always the one that people, that springs to mind first, but um, it's a really incredibly wild and ranging playground. Um, and it, the problems that were associated with it seemed to be to do with the planting growing too high and making these spaces quite cut off. And so what they needed to do was kind of tame some of these edges and it was so lovely walking around with the landscape architects talking about how the fences were there to be climbed and got under and they were not age-specific equipment. It was more just kind of levels of challenge. 
And so thinking about that way that kids get about and the way they challenge themselves is so important rather than this is for that age group and this is for that age group and, you know, forgetting that siblings need to be outside with each other and so on. I think the main thing is to take yourself back to being a child and to sort of come out of your uh, received wisdom about how children play. Um, so I think it's true to say that they start playing kind of the minute they wake up in the morning, wherever they are. So in bed, in their bedroom, down the stairs, along the corridor, in the kitchen, on the, in the, you know, in the living room, outside the front door. That's their world. If they're not being um, kind of directed to do something else, there's some level of play going on, probably. And, I mean, that may include, um, uh, you know, screens and playstations and stuff, or it might be things they've found or toys or whatever, but extending that space out outside and making that extension as straightforward as possible for the child and for the parent who is involved at an early age and understanding the way they're basically social beings they're looking for other children to play with um as anybody who's ever had children will know they're kind of most delighted when they when they're the thought of playing with other children um so trying to think away from the playground as the main sort of source of their play outside um, is so, they're so already important. Playing. They're already playing. They don't need to be shown how to play. <laughs> it's so natural. They're the experts. And what we've found, actually, in our research that's re more recent, which was a deliberate focus on... Um, a higher density and a higher rise scheme in Hackney, was asking children about play is a brilliant way into the, to their lives and into the way they use space. And what they can tell you about how they use space is so fascinating and so rich and rewarding. Um, so what are the, some of the things that you found out about? Well, um, I think they told, they, that some of the things were sort of maybe a bit hidden. So for example, we talked to them as a whole class about their playtime at school. And this was sort of outside the remit of our work, but we thought it was a good introduction to talking about, you know, their play experience. And so in the playground at school, there's lots of adults present, and it's quite, in their particular school, it's quite prescriptive uh, where you do which activity you, you partake in. So is it football over there and king ball over there and table tennis over here sort of thing? Um, and we talked to them about... Um, the space but we also asked them whether they felt they would like adults to be present or not in that space and their, in, their unanimous response was not and we could unpick that and look at, think about the psychology behind that essentially perhaps they that suggests they feel safe in their playground which means that the absence of adults would they would still feel safe um, perhaps it suggests that adults are restricting their play um, or that they might want to be naughty, or all sorts of things. But I think um, one of the things we found when we talked to them about the world outside was they didn't always feel safe um, without an adult. So it's not as simple as they want to be with us, they don't want to be with us. It's, it's a really complicated environment that they live in, um, that they're responding to. Um, and what they're looking for when they play, we find, is, is very different. It's quite gendered. 
boys are playing out more than girls and that's really important that we find out why because then that puts girls at a disadvantage if we consider play as being a valuable part of their lives. Most of them would like to play out more, uh, most of them would like to, more of them would like to cycle to school than do. Um, they kind of value their independence, they, they go outside and they look for their friends to play with, they're quite resilient, they don't play ball games very much because they're told they can't, so they'll play hide and seek. Um, amazingly, they're playing knockdown ginger, which is still the same game that we played when we were kids, which is when you go and knock on people's doors and then run away. <laughs> <laughs> they're playing and they're climbing. They're loving climbing and they'll climb, they call it parkour as well, and they'll climb across a fence and down a lamppost and over a flat roof and the estate manager will say, I don't understand why they're not using the play equipment. Um, and they'll tell us that the play equipment might be too babyish and they'll talk about bringing their siblings outside and they'll talk about a fight they might have had with an older kid, um, playing in the snow. I mean, there's just so many stories and so much delight. When you talk to children about play, it's like you've just opened their hearts up. It's amazing.